Hey, I'm Jesse. We are in Nehemiah chapter 11. Let's read the text. Now, the leaders of the people stayed in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots for one out of ten to come and live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the other nine-tenths remained in their towns. The people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. These are the heads of the province who stayed in Jerusalem, but in the villages of Judah, each lived in his own property in their towns. The Israelites, priests, Levites, temple servants, and descendants of Solomon's servants, while some of the descendants of Judah and Benjamin settled in Jerusalem. And then what follows is a, is a catalog of some of Judah's descendants and the Levites and the gatekeepers. So this rebuilding project had huge implications. Today, currently, there's not Jewish worship at the temple being carried out in the full official sense because there's not a temple in Jerusalem. What sits now, what stands upon the foundation that was once Solomon's temple is a Muslim mosque called the Dome of the Rock. And for that reason, temple worship has been suspended. We have Jewish synagogues, but we don't have true full-on Jewish worship in Jerusalem. Now that is similar to what was going on before this rebuilding. Before Zerubbabel came and rebuilt the temple, it was just scattered. It was diaspora. It was the Babylonian captivity in 586 BC. The Babylonians came in and just ransacked Jerusalem and then they couldn't carry out worship. It was because of God's discipline. See Nehemiah's opening prayer. Because of God's discipline, they've been cast. Now because of their repentance, God's brought them back home. So now God's brought them back home. What do you do? Like we've got the holy city rebuilt. Someone's got to live in the holy city. Now, if you're going to live in the holy city, uh, you've been like born and raised in Babylonian captivity. What do you do? Like you've even intermarried with some of the Persians and Arabs and, and other Gentile nations surrounding the area. Like this, this caused tremendous upheaval. For example, today, if the, if the, you know, say the Dome of the Rock were to be surrendered, it's not going to happen. But if it were, <laughs> we're, we're getting like end times prophecy now and say that like the temple were rebuilt and, uh, uh, that there'd be a whole lot of Jewish people who already live in Jerusalem who are like, great, ready to go. There'd be some other people who would be like, oh, we got to move to Jerusalem now. And you sit down and talk with your teenage kids and like, yeah, but we've grown up in Wisconsin our entire lives, never been to Jerusalem before. But like, well, guess what? We live in Jerusalem now. And so it, it causes upheaval. Now that the temple's reconstructed, now that the wall is rebuilt, the holy city has been restored, there's implications to this. You got to go back. You got to go there. Like if you're the, if you, if you adhere to Jewish belief who deny that Jesus is the Messiah, that would that would naturally follow. Okay, well, somebody, somebody's got to live in Jerusalem. Today, we know what Jesus said in John chapter 4 is true. The true worshipers don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship God. And they don't have to go to Samaria to worship God. Like Jesus said to the woman at the well, now true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And these are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So aren't you glad, take a moment of gratitude, that we're not bound by this. We're free from this. This is an Old Testament book, took place during the Old Covenant, and so they were bound by it. We're free from it, 
See, Jesus in John chapter 4, they were bound by it. See, Nehemiah chapter 11. And so there's this special blessing upon the, the men who were willing to come and live in Jerusalem. You still had some people who remembered the old temple and they thought that it was way better. Uh, classic surf movie, the, uh, the Endless Summer. It was kind of the first surf movie ever. And I, I've always loved it. It's a, it's a cool movie. And the, these guys just kind of go beach to beach. And they said everywhere they go, uh, they're always told the same thing. That you should have been here yesterday to see the waves then. And uh, they'll go to another beach in a whole other area. And then, oh man, you should have been here yesterday. The waves were so much better. And they'll go to a whole other area and be told like, oh, you should have been here last week. You should have seen the waves then. They're like, remarkably, we've been a week or a day behind the best waves everywhere we've been for the last year. <laughs> and wherever they went, oh, you should have seen it back then. And this is similar to what's going on in some of the old folks whining in Ezra. Ah, oh, you should have seen the temple back in my day. And there's this wail. I think of it, I think some of it could have been genuine because it's true. It wasn't built to the original specs of Solomon, per se. It wasn't as glorious, perhaps. But I also think there's some virtue signaling in their whining. They're like, oh, I wish the temple were better than it is. But as a result, they're going to miss out on the glory that this newly rebuilt temple has. Okay, it may not have the petting zoo and the water slides, and it may not have plasma screens in the lobby. Like, fill in the blank. It doesn't, it doesn't actually matter. You see my point? It doesn't matter what the differences were. What matters is that, okay, this temple was demolished, and it's back. That's incredible. Worship God and thank him for this miracle because nations don't come back. Temples don't get rebuilt like this. It's amazing to behold what God has done. So some of it was virtue signaling on the on the on behalf of the older generation. It was like, yeah, but back in my day, the temple was way better. Ezra says that the outcry of those who grieved the lost glory of the former temple and those who celebrated the glory of the new temple, because they'd never known anything. They, all they'd ever known was captivity and they didn't remember the previous temple. They're just, their mind is blown to go from all these stories of the glory days past to like now, oh wow, these are the glory days now. We're in them now. You had two generations with two different perspectives on the same thing. Like the same temple elicits radically different responses and they're complaining that the glory isn't there anymore. And they're mixed in with the outcry of praise to Yahweh for having rebuilt the temple in the first place. And the way Ezra records it is you couldn't distinguish who was saying what? Their outcries mingled together. So Jerusalem's been rebuilt. We gotta have some people who are willing to stay behind. Uh, there's also some debate about where the Benjaminites ought to stay, okay? While some of the descendants of Judah and Benjamin settled in Jerusalem. When we go back to the original temple, the original idea, uh, you had some descendants, including, you know, the, uh, including the Levites, who would not have their own allocation of promised land, but some of them, uh, but like the Levites, for example, would just live off of what, what God provided for the temple. But then you had some other tribes as well that, would, that really liked some of the land on the other side of the Jordan, and so God would just work with, God allowed them to have their own allocations. Some of those allocations are getting a little bit compromised here. And so we're not doing things truly 
by the original book. This is a new iteration of temple life. And what follows is a, is a categorization of all the descendants and where they go. Judah's descendants are accounted for. Uh, and there, there are 468 capable men listed in verses four through six. And verse seven, Benjamin's descendants are, are, are listed here. And there are 928, this is a pretty big crowd. The priests are accounted for in verses 10 through 14. And we've got hundreds of these guys, all right? 822, uh, uh, who's, uh, where the, the relatives work at the temple. 242 uh, uh, plus 128 capable men. Then the Levites are listed. So the priests and Levites are distinctive here. Sometimes those lines blur because the Levites were the tribe. They're the ones who are supposed to carry out worship. The priests are the guys who do some of the priestly work. Uh, within, the, within the Levites, we have 284 people accounted for. The gatekeepers, 172. That's a, that's a pretty good rotation of guards you've got going on. Verse 20 reads, The rest of Israel, the priests and the Levites, were in the villages of Judah, each on his own inherited property. The temple servants lived in Ophel, Zia, and Gishba supervised uh, the, the, the temple servants. So we've reclaimed the temple, and now we've divided who is going to live where. This is, this is an exciting resettlement, uh, and, and it's not quite perfect. It's not quite what you may, may have thought. It's not quite by the book. Um, this is the nature of Old Testament stories. You look at Nehemiah, and you see this absolutely phenomenal story, and you, you, you hope for this at last perfect redemption, and everything's right with Israel, but that wasn't really the case case with Zerubbabel. That wasn't really the case with Ezra. And then now in, in the end of Nehemiah, you're going to see Nehemiah begin to freak out on people for, for infractions of, of the law. We're going to get to the dedication of the wall beginning in verse 27. But in the meantime, you're going to see that they're trying, they're trying to do what they can to reallocate life in the temple. And you're going to see that things at this juncture in the book begin to get compromised. It's not quite perfect. And why is that? Because Nehemiah is not Jesus. He's not the Messiah. This is Jerusalem. It's not heaven. Nothing this side of heaven is going to be absolutely perfect. Redemption Church with the Revival Project. Things are not going to go 100% perfectly as planned. I am fully anticipating a fight with the city over zoning laws at some point. It's probably going to happen. I'm not going to be shocked by it, but I'm going to remember Nehemiah. When it comes to the construction, say if we do new construction and we have these beautiful renderings and then you have this idea in your head of what the building's gonna look like and then it doesn't look like the renderings. So maybe you guys are gonna be mad at me and write me angry emails. Jesse, we gave because we thought that it was gonna look like this and now it looks like this. Okay, look, it just manage expectations properly. Even using the book of Nehemiah as your template for that. Know that along the way, we're gonna strive to do everything in, in accordance with God's perfect will. But we live in a world that is afflicted by the enemy. We're going to face difficulty. We're going to face opposition. We're going to face some sabotage even. It's going, it's probably going to happen, okay? I'm not going to be shocked if it comes. It's going to end without perfection. There's going to be something with the building that when we get there on our very first Sunday in worship, whether it's new construction, whether it's repurposed commercial property, uh, or whether it's the, uh, an older church, there's going to be something about each of these scenarios. We're like, oh, I kind of wish that this newly constructed building were bigger. Oh, I kind of wish that we'd done a little bit more to make this grocery store look less like a grocery store and more like a church. I feel like I'm going to go shop for groceries when I'm going to church in the morning. Oh, I kind of wish that we had done something to take this old church building and make it smell 
less like sadness. You know, like whatever the case, whatever way I go, I'm already anticipating, I know there's gonna be something about it for which you're gonna have a reason to complain. So just don't. Let's glorify God that the temple's been built, that the temple's been restored. Let's glorify God for what he's done and let's show grace in the meantime. I think that's a brilliant way to apply what we see in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. This is an incredibly exciting time. Let's show grace to each other because we're not in heaven yet. But my prayer is that as we worship at the Redemption Church, whatever the facility may be, it's the closest to heaven we get before the real thing.